Welcome to the Baseline Community Church Podcast. The sermon series that we're in is called Garden to Garden. I know we've had a few different folks in here. We had Pastor Craig from Pomona Promise preach last week. It was a sermon just about kind of the merger and all that stuff, but we're back in on the um, series of Garden to Garden. It's this idea that you start in Scripture at the Garden of Eden, and then we will take it all the way to Easter Sunday, which where's, there's a tomb in a garden and the resurrection. And, the, and there's lots of places within Scripture that talk about a garden theme. And that's what we're doing here in, uh, in this season. And the idea is that in the, in the garden as Jesus, or as the Lord first created it, it was perfect. It, the word that's used is shalom. It's this, it's this word of flourishing. It's, it's where relationship with God was right in the Garden of Eden. Uh, relationships with one another was right. Relationship with creation was right. And relationship with ourself was right. And that that is how God created the world to be. And then things get messed up pretty quickly, and we'll talk about that today. Um, here we go. But here we go. One of the things that God does in his scriptures is he brings up prophets from time to time. And those prophets would preach a vision of renewal. One of those is Isaiah. And Isaiah is preaching to a group of people that have been exiled. Their country has been overtaken by the Babylonians. Jerusalem has been destroyed. The temple has been burned down. The people have been scattered into different countries. And Isaiah preaches this word to them. It's a vision of of what God has given Isaiah for his people. And in Isaiah 51.3, this is what he says. The Lord will surely comfort Zion and will look with compassion on all her ruins. He will make her deserts like Eden, her wastelands like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the sound of singing. Isn't that an amazing verse? And remember, it is spoken to a group of people that are in exile, that are in Babylon, that are basically refugees now. And yet the Lord says, he has compassion on your ruins. What a great word. And then he says, I'll make your deserts like Eden, taking us back to the Garden of Eden, your wastelands like the Garden of the Lord. And he takes them back to, this is what it will be like, the flourishing that God intended that he created it. Again, that right relationship with God, with each other, with myself, with creation. And one day, the people of God will go back home. They're in exile for about 70 years. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but it really doesn't seem like the Lord is in a hurry. Have you ever thought about that? 40 years in the desert out of Egypt, 70 years in exile. That that doesn't seem like a long time to the Lord. Well, for us, it does. But one day, God's people will go back. Nehemiah and Ezra will take the people back to Jerusalem. They'll rebuild the temple. But it will not be Eden. They will rebuild, but they will often be in conflict and strife They will often be under the dominion and domination of a larger and stronger nation. So what is the prophet talking about? 
when he says your desert will become like Eden and the wasteland will be like a garden. So in seminary, one professor explained it to me this way, and I hope I can explain this well to you. It's as if the prophet is looking and he sees a mountaintop out there. And the mountaintop is the way things are going to be one day. And yes, it is going to be like Eden again. It will be flourishing. And he sees it out there. But what the prophet doesn't know is that between that mountaintop that he sees, there are many mountain ranges in between. And there are times where the nation will go up and back down. There are times when God's people will go up and down, up and down. And what the prophet sees is how it will be in the end. And one day, he says, God's people will see Eden, will experience it as God has meant it to be. But for us, in the midst of these ups and downs, before we get there, life can often feel like a desert or a wasteland. Oftentimes, when you look at the world as it is right now, you kind of go, man, it's a wasteland. I was thinking about this. Just the suffering that's going on in Ukraine right now. There's this incredible disparity between the rich and the poor. Again, and this blew me away as I was studying this, that in, typically in, in a typical year, six million people will die from malnutrition. Six million. We think about human trafficking. We think about the opiate addictions. We think about our national division and all that. And so you look at the world and you go, wow, that, does, that feels like a desert to me sometimes. And then, if we're really honest, we can look at ourselves sometimes. And we can feel like my own life at times represents a wasteland. I'm prone to anger and anger or bitterness. Lust can take over at times. Our relationships with one another aren't right. We can be selfish. We can be out of sorts physically or emotionally. And it just looking at our own life, we're going, yeah, it doesn't feel like the Garden of Eden. It feels like there's a lot of turmoil at times in my own life. And so it's easy to say, yeah, you know what? I could sit with those people in Babylon and say, man, life is difficult sometimes. Life feels like a desert. It feels like a wasteland. And yet the prophet speaks of this time where it will be like Eden. It will be like the garden that God created. There will be flourishing. Things will be right. But we look at the way things are now, and we're like, well, what is the problem? <laughs> what is the problem? Well, the Apostle Paul put the problem this way. Romans 3, 22 and 23. There's no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The problem, in some ways, goes back to that garden where Eve ate the apple and it was basically about a disobedience towards God, but, but all of us fall into that line. All of us have a tendency, all of us have a nature that causes us not to obey what God wants to do and to do things our own way and to not have that relationship that God wants to have with us, but we turn our back on him and we say, I can do it better myself. 
and we walk away. And that basically is what sin is. Sin is saying, God, I don't need you. I can do it myself, and I'll try it. And when you get a whole world living that way, (laughs) that's when you get wars in Ukraine and six million people dying of malnutrition and all of that. And it feels like a desert sometimes. For all of us, everybody, myself, we all have to deal with this sin problem. And it's a tough problem. And Paul continues in in Romans 6.23, he says this, for the wages of sin is death. And we know what wages are, right? You You have a job, you do the work, and you get paid. Well, he says the wages of the way we live our lives separated from God is death. And by death, he means, yeah, physical death. But beyond that, too, he means a spiritual death, that we're separated from God. And we can even feel a death in us sometimes emotionally. We can feel death that happens relationally with people. But that is the consequences of living in the world like we do. That we're separated from God and the wages of sin is death. Now the good news is that there is a big but here. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the good news, right? That it doesn't end with the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. That's such an important reminder that it doesn't end with this, that we're in death, but we have this opportunity to experience eternal life through Christ. And it is the eternal life in knowing Christ in his life, his death, and his resurrection that causes us to experience what eternal life is. Sometimes we can get so focused on the cross, and the cross is crucial. We need the cross. That's where Jesus took my sin and your sin on himself. That's why Holy Week is so important. But it doesn't, it's not all about the cross. We have to remember that in his life, Jesus showed us how to live in the kingdom today. And in the resurrection, he gives us the power to experience life as it will be. When Jesus started his ministry, you might remember this, he was calling his disciples to be around him, and he said this, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. That the kingdom of God is here, he said. It's now. It's it's not only going to be in the future, but it's now. Wherever Jesus is king, that's where the kingdom is. And then the thing he says that you have to do is you have to repent and believe this good news. And what repenting is, is basically if we were walking away from God and he's over there, it's in essence, it's turning around and repent actually means to think differently. I'm going to think differently about who God is. I'm going to think differently about myself. And I'm not going to go my own way. I'm going to turn and face him. And that is ultimately what it means to repent and believe the good news. And then the resurrection of Jesus is so important. 
I know in the Christian world, we oftentimes, because at least in the United States, we make a huge deal out of Christmas, right? Presents and all that stuff. And Easter is all right, kind of. You know, I mean, you know, you don't really get many presents for Easter. You know, anything is that, you know, get chocolate eggs or whatever. But in reality, people, Easter is the center of what we believe. It is the resurrection of Jesus. It is the beginning of new life. It's the beginning of this new creation that God is doing. And that is why it is so crucial. And here's the thing. The reason that prophet Isaiah could see what's happening is because of the resurrection. That is the new life that he's talking about. That is the Eden that he's talking about. The garden he's talking about is because Jesus is resurrected and has new life and gives us new life. And because of the resurrection... That's why John could have a vision of what that future looks like. And he records a lot of it in the book of Revelation. And in Revelation 21, here's what he sees and hears. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. It's that new kingdom. It's that new life that God is creating. And it's talking about this flourishing, right? Look, God's dwelling place. So the relationship with people is right there. He will be with them. There's no more tears, there's no more death, there's no more mourning or crying or pain. Things have been put right. And one of the things that will happen there is that we will experience justice and beauty as it was meant to be. That in this world to come, in the world that God is creating, People will have right relationships with each other. There will be justice. There will be no more slavery. There will be no more human trafficking. None of that stuff will be there because our God is a God of justice and our God is a God of beauty. And the creation that, if you've noticed, we are kind of destroying will be put back to its perfect self as it's supposed to be. So uh, a famous uh, professor from Fuller years ago wrote a book, and it's about the kingdom of God, and he calls the kingdom this. He says it's the now and not yet kingdom of God. It's taking those words of Jesus that the kingdom of God is near, but it's also taking the truth that one day the kingdom will be here. So we are in the now, but not quite yet kingdom of God. And we wait for that day when we will be in that kingdom. And the question for us is then, how are we supposed to live? 
How are we supposed to live in this in-between time, this kingdom of God? You know, in, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul uses basically the whole chapter to talk about the resurrection. It is one of the most powerful definitions of what the re- resurrection is, what the gospel is, and it's just crucial. And um, it's what I, I, I quote it at every memorial service or celebration of life I do, right? That you, uh, Paul writes, you know, where, O oh, death, is your sting? Where's your victory? The victory is in Christ. It's this beautiful picture of what the resurrection means for us. But then at the end of it, the last verse is such an interesting verse for me. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Paul says this. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So he's talking about the resurrection, the whole chapter, basically. About how it's great, how the perishable we be taken over by imperishable and all this, um, all this. But he gets to the end and he says, keep on doing your work. Keep on doing now, here, in this time, on this earth, in your community, wherever you are, keep on doing your work. He doesn't say, hey, forget about what's going on here, just focus on the future. He says, no, keep on doing the work the Lord's given you. Uh, Eugene Peterson in the message put it this way. With all this going on for us, my dear, dear friends, stand your ground and don't hold back. Throw yourselves into the work of the master, confident that nothing you do for him is a waste of time or effort. Isn't that a great line? Throw yourself into the work of the master. Throw yourself in. That whatever you do here actually can make a difference for eternity. So there's two parts of this idea of of renewal that the prophets talk about. And the first one is this. We need to experience renewal in our own lives. There are dead places in our lives. There are deserts in our lives that need to be brought back to life. Places of struggle, places of brokenness. And what I loved about that um, line in the Isaiah 51 is it says that the Lord will look with compassion on all her ruins. Do you know that the Lord looks with compassion on all your ruins? All, all the places you're a little embarrassed by, all the places that you're never quite sure you're going to get right, that the Lord looks on those with compassion and wants to bring renewal. That's what the Lord wants to do. He wants to bring renewal in our own lives. And then secondly, the Lord really does want to bring renewal in our world. It's not as if the Lord has said, God said, hey, you know what, you had one chance and you kind of blew it. So I'm sorry. Just deal with it on your own. 
No, the Lord wants there to be flourishing in our world. He wants people to experience life to its fullest. And so the Lord wants us to use the body he has given us, the mind he has given us, the heart, the compassion he gives us, in the space that we are on this earth, the places we occupy, whether that's uh, in our homes or in our, in our workplaces, he wants us, and I'll just use this phrasing, he wants to bring the Garden of Eden into those places that we walk. He wants us to be the ones that do that. That bring in justice and righteousness and forgiveness and love into those places. That that ultimately is, is who we are. So uh, N.T. Wright, who's a New Testament uh, theologian, he writes this. He said, God intends his wise, creative, loving presence and power to be reflected, imaged, if you like, into his world through his human creatures. He has enlisted us to act as his stewards in the project of creation. And following the disaster of rebellion and corruption, that's the first Eden when that happened, he has built into the gospel message the fact that through the work of Jesus, and the power of the Spirit, he equips humans to help in the world of getting the project back on track. Isn't that amazing? That God would use you and I to get his ultimate project back on track. That he wants us to be the people that help this world to flourish. That he wants us to be the people that help our families to flourish, our workplaces to flourish, the schools we go to to flourish, our community, our neighborhoods to flourish, our world to flourish ultimately. And that it's through the work of Jesus, what he's done on the cross and through the resurrection, it's through the power of the Spirit, but he uses us to bring about this change. So it all has to begin with a vision of what your life can be as you experience the living Christ and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Do you have a vision of what that life can look like? Do you have a vision of who God could make you to be and use you in different ways? Vision, right? That's what the prophets were giving the people who were in exile was a vision of here's what it can be. Can we move towards that? Can we actually bring Eden, bring flourishing and justice and righteousness, beauty, love and, and connection with others into our marriages and our families, our neighborhoods, our workplaces to bring Eden into those? And here's the truth, right? The last couple of years, it's kind of been just sort of a, hey, let's just batten down the hatches and let's just survive. Let's just get through this tough time. Kind of survival mode. But what I hope we'll do is we'll free our imaginations to see what God might want to do through us. 
to dream how God might want to use us to bring renewal into the world. Whatever little part of the world you're in, how can you help bring renewal into that? That's what God's calling us to do. And it's all because the Lord didn't give up on us. Didn't say, ah, you blew it, you're done. But he sent his son to live, to die, and to rise again. That we might experience renewal that we can then bring into the world. So be people of Eden. Be people who bring renewal. And bring people who bring hope. That's what our Lord wants. Let me pray for us. So Lord, help us to uh, experience renewal in our own lives. Those difficult, hard places, those... um, broken places, those dead places in us, Lord, that you just want to bring life back into. We pray, Lord, we bring those before you. Pray that your spirit would work. We pray, Lord, you'd bring others around us that can encourage us and help us to be the people you call us to be. And then, Lord, help us to bring Eden into that little part of this world that you have us in that we might truly truly be a world that flourishes. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us. For more information about Baseline Community Church, please go to BaselineCC.com.